Can we all just get along or are Americans in the midst of a cold civil war? As Democrats amp up their assault against noted cocaine kingpin Mitch McConnell and all of the other Republicans he represents, conciliatory conservatives are missing the only possible strategy for domestic peace. We will analyze. Then, a look around the most important midterm races, the similarities between Nazis and the weather. Uh, thank you to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And most shocking of all, CNN does something worthwhile. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Oh, we're talking about war today. We are talking about war fresh on the heels of Politicon where I don't feel like reconciling anything at all. Uh, we will talk about the Cold Civil War. I've avoided talking about this because I think it's typically exaggerated political rhetoric. Now, I'm not so sure as people are assaulting cocaine Mitch at restaurants. I'm not so sure, so we'll look at it. But first, let's make a little money, honey. Let's do it. Because we're not going to win the Cold Civil War if we don't extol the virtues of capitalism. And you know me. Uh, how long do I spend sleeping every day? 17, 18 hours. I need it. It's my beauty rest. Thank goodness I have Bolin Branch sheets. Bolin Branch sheets are so good. When I was a slum in it as a bachelor, I would just buy the cheapest sheets in the world, you know, sandpaper basically. Uh, Bolin Branch sheets makes ev- uh, from be- bedding to blankets, everything is made from 100% organic cotton. They start off super soft. They get even softer over time. Really nice premium sheets, you know, at those five-star hotels. That can cost $1,000 in the store. Bolin Branch, uh, or, or only about a couple hundred dollars. Uh, that's why three U.S. presidents sleep on them. Everybody who tries Bolin Branch loves them, including little old me. Uh, they have thousands of five-star reviews. Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company are all talking about it. To get started, uh, you can get shipping for free. You can try them for 30 nights. If you don't love them, send them back for a refund. You're not going to want to send them back. They are so, so good. It's the only reason sweet little Elisa hasn't moved out yet is my Bolin Branch sheets. Get $50 off your first set of sheets at BolinBranch.com. Promo code Michael. Don't say I never did nothing for you. BolinBranch.com today. $50 off your first set of sheets. Enter my boudoir. Feel what it is like. B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code Michael. M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Don't spell it like you're a barista at some coffee company. Spell it correctly. M-I-C-H-A-E-L. I have avoided this rhetoric, this civil cold war. I know a lot of other people on the right and on the left have talked about it. I'm beginning to wonder if they if they want a war, maybe they can have a, a war. You know, you've got Democrat elected officials calling for violence against the GOP, and then at Politicon, where we all were yesterday, I was there. I was on a panel which was called "How the Bleep Do We All Get Along," and talking to the lefties on that panel, I'm uh, more and more convinced that they are really calling for a cultural and a cold civil war, and no less than Carl Bernstein, a lefty journalist on CNN, is saying the same thing. Here he is. We are in a cold civil war in this country. Uh, Then these two events, uh, both the Mueller investigation and the Kavanaugh nomination, are almost uh, the the Gettysburg and Antietam, the, the, the absolutely essential battles of this cold civil war. Gettysburg and Antietam. That rhetoric is about as hot as you can possibly get. And so if they want a cold civil war, they're going to get it. You, if, if an aggressor is saying, we're going to be fighting you, we're declaring war on you, then you can't ignore it. You can't say that there is no war. And you've obviously got Maxine Waters calling for elected or for Democratic supporters to attack Republicans at their homes. Eric Holder, the same thing. Hillary Clinton, the same thing. So maybe we've got to start taking this seriously. Why are they doing this, first of all? Why all of this talk of the Cold Civil War? It's because they have no issues. They actually are running on this election on no issues. What are they fighting for? 
I guess there's a little vague talk about health care, but even that is very vague. They're not pushing any particular policy. Are they running on immigration? No, because that's a huge loser issue for Democrats. Even among Democrat primary voters, that's a big loser issue. The economy is doing very well. We have relative peace abroad. Uh, We've got virtually no unemployment. What is the issue? This might be the first issue-free election in a long time. So it's just all about Trump. They're just talking about how much they hate Donald Trump. Uh, I was on this panel, you know, and it was me, Charlie Kirk, you know, also on the right, roaming millennial who's on the show, um, and then a couple of lefties. Kyle Kulinski is Secular Talk on YouTube, and this guy, Bakari Sellers, who, he was the one who went on CNN and said that Kanye West is what happens when Negroes don't read books. He's that guy. I think we talked about him on the show. And, uh, you know, one thing I noticed is that some conservatives at Politicon wanted to conciliate. They wanted to give some concessions to the left. They were talking about areas where, oh, conservatives can abandon our ideas and let's just embrace left-wing ideas. Oh, we don't, we don't need the death penalty. We don't. Look, there's always been disagreement on the right over the death penalty, but there were some people saying, no, we don't, let's get rid of that. Let's drop that issue. We can go further to the left on it. Oh, how about criminal jail? Let's let criminals out of prison. Yeah, we can let some criminals out of prison. That's, that's fine. We have too many people in prison. Okay. Oh, the drug war has been a big loss. See, we're getting together. And I don't, I don't know what the thought is here. For one, maybe genuinely these people are more libertarian. On another level, maybe they, they think that the left is going to give them credit for this. The left won't give you credit. They will not give you credit. You cannot make the New York Times like you. They will never like you. They will use you, but they will never like you. And, and uh, I, I obviously, John McCain has fallen into this trap. Mitt Romney fell into this trap. We should not fall into this trap. You know, that the lesson of the Trump era is to fight. F- don't give in. Don't be squishy. Don't say, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't strap my dog to the roof of my car. And do blah. No, don't fight because we're winning. And the voters actually reward you when you fight. When you stand up to these guys and you make fun of Jim Acosta, they reward you. It's not a liability. It's a real advantage. I have the strategy on, you know, they were asking, uh, how do we all get along? How do we move along and get along? And I'll give this and you give that. Uh, if we have a civil cold war, here's my strategy. We win and they lose. Those aren't my words. That was Ronald Reagan's words on the first cold war, the actual cold war with the Soviet Union. He said, here's my strategy. We win and they lose. And he was pilloried for this. He said, oh, he's not being sophisticated in his, th- oh, he's not, he's a cowboy. He's a madman. No, that's the answer. You cannot uh, conciliate here. You know, there was a, <laughs> there, there this is a little, little Catholic corner. There was this uh, Pope, Blessed Pius IX, who when they gave up all the papal states, this, the, the Pope had killed a lot of people and executed a lot of criminals. And the last criminal said, please, please don't execute me. And he said, I cannot move your, your execution and I do not want to. That is how I feel about this. I cannot conciliate on the cold cultural war and I do not want to. I do, why would we? How are, how are we going to meet in the middle on really hot button radical social issues? Where do we meet in the middle on abortion? Abortion was the, the center of the fight for Brett Kavanaugh's nomination. It was all about Roe v. Wade. They made up these things about women and when he was 15 and 1982, it was all about Roe versus Wade. Where is the conciliation? One side says we shouldn't kill unborn babies. The other side says we should kill unborn babies up until right before birth, abortion on demand, paid for by taxpayers. Where is the conciliation? That is actually the perfect example of trying to split the baby. You can't split the baby. Why would you? The the right is in the right on this. They're in the right uh, 
morally, but they're in the right politically too. Pro-life cause has gained a lot of traction since Roe versus Wade. It's at historical high levels of support. Why would you give up on that? On a question like the redefinition of marriage, where the Supreme Court, Anthony Kennedy, yanks that issue out of the public sphere and says, you can't debate this anymore because I, Anthony Kennedy, will wax poetic about the, the constitutional right to intimacy or whatever they made up there, which Antonin Scalia made fun of in his dissent. Where's the conciliation? Do we say, oh, okay, well, the Supreme Court can redefine certain essential human institutions, but not others. Oh, well, maybe, okay, here, so radical leftists want to redefine marriage to include, you know, polygamous, who knows what, unions, and normal people say that marriage has a meaning and sexual difference inheres in the definition of marriage. So, okay, maybe it'll be three people of various, no, there's no conciliation. We're talking about the meaning of words. Uh, Where is the the conciliation on any other policy, on foreign policy, on domestic affairs, on deregulation? One side says we want the government to have less control over your life. We want them to have more accountability. The other side says we want to give more and more power, more and more of your money, more and more control over your life to the federal government. There's no conciliation there. Uh, and, And also, why would, have you noticed that the left only calls for conciliation when they're losing? when we're advancing. We're advancing right now. We are winning. I mean, this has been building for a, for a long time. This has been building since 2010. You know, after the Obama election in 2008, 2010, we win the House. After that, we win the Senate. We win the state houses. We win the governorships. This is capped off by the election of Trump in 2016. We take the White House. We've got everything. Anthony Kennedy leaves the Supreme Court. We get a more originalist judge, which changes the balance of the court. We are winning. And all of a sudden, the left says, oh, no, no, now we need to get along. Well, where were you six years ago, pals? Where were you when Barack Obama was painting the White House in rainbow colors? Were Were you saying we need to be nice to one another and meet in the middle then? I don't think so. It's so... Uh, cynical. It's such a cynical and such a transparent strategy. Look at what they're doing on the cold civil war. Look at what some hysterical millennial is doing to Pablo Escobar himself, cocaine Mitch, uh, just trying to have a dinner with his wife at a restaurant. Are you going to compromise with that? Are you going to compromise with some hysterical millennials going up to his table? Wait, why don't you leave? Why don't you just go on and leave the whole country? Oh, how about I don't? How about you sit down, you hysterical child, and I will finish my meal. I also love Cocaine Mitch. This is how you know he's been the head of the Medellin cartel for a very long time. He doesn't even flinch when this guy comes up. He's just there. He's just got his mound of, you know, a booger sugar in front of him. or so. I don't know what he ordered for dinner, but he's just there. He does not even flinch. Uh, this is a parable for the country because this hysterical millennial gets up. He says, why don't you leave? Why don't you leave? And then everyone in the restaurant who was just minding their own business, just sitting there trying to get on with their lives, they turn and they say, shut up, sit down. Why are you? This is what we see with, with voters. You know, um, you've got this hysterical group of people with the pink hats, screaming, ripping up signs, kicking people. Okay. There aren't that many of them. And I think for a long time, because the left had a monopoly over the media, had a monopoly over the means of communication, we thought that not only were they half the country, that they were the majority of the country. That Walter Cronkite, world federalist left-winger Walter Cronkite, he was the voice of the American people. Not 
the case. And once you got a little freedom in there and a little bit of new media, we learned that that wasn't the case. I think most of America are those diners sitting there just trying to eat who are getting increasingly annoyed by these insane, largely millennial people. And I think that this is a millennial problem. You don't see older generations doing this so much, going up to the tables, shrieking at Ted Cruz in restaurants, going to people's houses. You know, millennials are a coddled generation. There have been many books written about this. John Haidt has written about this. A lot of politicians have talked about it. It's a coddled generation. It's the participation trophy generation. They got everything they wanted. They were helicopter parented. Sure. I mean, that it's, all, it's not even really their fault. That's just how they were parented. It's how they were brought up. They, it, when they got to high school and college, they were indoctrinated in leftist ideology that just confirmed the biases that they were raised in and presented any other point of view as evil or wicked and w- outside of the realm of public debate. And even politically, they always got what they wanted. By the time the millennials came of age, what did they do? They elected Barack Obama. And Barack Obama reigned as king for eight years. For the first time, they didn't get what they wanted, and they're being behaving like children. And we've got to treat them like children. I don't, I don't mean that you've got to be cruel. You don't want to be cruel to a child. You don't want to torture a child. But you've got to be firm. You've got to take a stand. You don't compromise with a child. The teacher doesn't compromise with the child. The director of the insane institution doesn't compromise with the inmates. You have to stand firm. That's the only way that you're going to help people get a little bit better. Unfortunately for our friends on the left, they're not learning this lesson. If you look at these races around the country, the polls are getting really interesting. Uh, In Indiana now, Indiana was really one of these swing uh, Senate seats. Obviously, the the Kavanaugh effect has been pretty profound in North Dakota. We've talked about Heidi Heitkamp up there. But in Indiana, it was really, really close. And now Mike Braun, the Republican, is leading Senator Joe Donnelly by four points. So you're now getting a little little past the margin of error, depending on which poll you're looking at. Uh, All of the analysts are attributing this to the Kavanaugh effect. And what is the Kavanaugh effect? What did the Kavanaugh effect show. It's when a mob of Democrats decided to institute lynch mob justice on a guy who did not have due process uh, based on accusations that were pretty flimsy. They reacted against that. They revolted against that, that you got the he too movement out of it, you know, because women have husbands and wives and fathers. Um, why, Why would we why would we give up now that we're winning? Why would we pull back now? Now is the time to charge even harder, especially that now that you've got midterm elections coming up. So if you, if you turn down to Florida, uh, there was this debate. I know you didn't watch it. One, because it was on CNN, and two, because it was so hard to watch. Uh, Andrew Gillum, the Democrat, uh, this Democrat actual socialist, out-and-out socialist guy against Ron DeSantis, the Republican. If you didn't catch it, there were, there were a few really good uh, clips of it. And DeSantis mopped the floor with the guy. So what does uh, Andrew Gillum do? He immediately resorts to the oldest Democrat tactic in the book. He plays the race card. Here they are. Did you pay for the Hamilton ticket or did the undercover FBI pay for the Hamilton ticket? Did you pay to stay in the, under, the, the villa in Costa Rica? Uh, where are the receipts? You have not proven that you paid for anything. And that's the problem. So here's the direct answer. I don't take free trips from anybody I'm a hardworking person. I know that may not fit your description of what you think people like me uh, do, but I worked hard for everything that I've gotten in my life, and I don't need anybody handing me anything for free. That might not fit your description of what people like me do. If he's referring to socialists, he's absolutely right. I don't know many hardworking socialists, but that's not what he means. He's saying, I'm a black guy, and uh, you're saying that black people are lazy. 
No, you're saying that black people are lazy. He didn't say that at all. What he said is that you took gifts from lobbyists, which you didn't even deny. You notice Andrew Gillum can't deny it. So the allegation that DeSantis makes is that Gillum took free Broadway tickets to Hamilton, which, by the way, as a New Yorker, I can tell you the price on those is like $7 zillion per ticket. You know, it's, that, that was the hottest ticket in town. And that he went on some trip and had things bought for him by, by some lobbyist. And uh, so what does Andrew Gillum do? He immediately just twists it. He says, I never have people pay for my trips. Well, do you have people pay for part of your trips? Do you have people pay for certain things on your trips? Do you have people send? Who knows? And he, he also just won't acknowledge the, the Broadway thing. He won't acknowledge the Hamilton tickets. And then all he does is he turns it on race. He says, oh, you, you're saying black people are lazy. No, I'm saying you are a crook. You are corrupt. He had no answer to that. And DeSantis also didn't get uh, put off by the race comment. You know, this is what they do. As Ann Coulter told me when I was a wee young lad of 18 in college, she said, when a liberal calls you a racist, you know that you've won the argument. I saw this at Politicon yesterday. I was on this panel with, uh, uh, I was, it was roaming millennial. That was the only way it was bearable. Uh, John Fugelsang, who I sort of like, though he was making very stupid points. And the person to my right was this alleged comedian, Randy Sklar, I think he has a YouTube channel, the Skull R Brothers. And this guy, he tried to land a couple punches. He was really angry. He was coming out strong. He's, I hate Trump. And, and, you know, he made some allegation about Donald Trump having business interests in Saudi Arabia. I pointed out that Saudi Arabia gave a bunch of money to the Clintons. He had no answer because all he had are these talking points. So he says all of these talking points. And then once he ran out of talking points, what did he do? He called me a racist, which is how you know that you win the argument. When you, when you can't refute the claim, when you can't attack the claim, attack the person. And uh, it, it's, re- it's really disgusting. I mean, we're so used to it by now that I think we forget how awful that is. In modern America, there is nothing worse that you can be called than a racist. There's nothing worse. You c- it is a synonym for evil. It is, a, it is to say you're an evil person. You're an evil person. I mean, we, we shouldn't brush it off. I, we're so, we get so calloused because we're so used to them saying that all the time. But it's really awful. We should, we should uh, fight them back tooth and nail because that's not very conciliatory language. That's not really let's all get along kind of language, is it? So, uh, so DeSantis was great on that point. He, he also goes on and gets to the essential issue, the essential actual policy issue of these midterm elections. And I think it's a big winner for Republicans. And I think the Democrats are running scared. Here it is. Will you honor a request from Donald Trump's ICE agency? If they provide a detainer request, will you honor it as governor? Will you, you work pre- with Donald Trump? You yes can or no? proceed with your time. He won't answer the Jake. That's important because that's what happens when somebody's Jake, a criminal. You, if, I've if been a prosecutor. Like to... I've worked with law enforcement. When they're in the system, they're convicted. Maybe they serve 10 years, but it comes time to come out. There's a detainer request from ICE. You either turn them over to ICE or release them into the community. That's the only two options. Andrew will not answer the question. Detainers, that tells me, me he would be willing to release them okay, back like into it, our community. Like the well, question? of course, I, I just think the, the showboating is unnecessary. Oh, do you? <laughs> the guy who's playing the race card not five seconds before, who's saying that DeSantis thinks black people are lazy. Now he's, oh, I don't know why we should be showboating. I love to, they fall silent when you try to pin them down on any issue of policy, especially on the question of immigration. He, he says, DeSantis says, would you turn the criminals over to law enforcement or would you release them into the community? And there's that moment of silence and Gillum says, no, no go on. 
No, 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 God, I don't want to interrupt. Well, you wanted to interrupt on all the other questions. Why? That's interesting. You've fallen silent on that question of immigration. And we know that immigration is a big winner. I can't tell if our friends on the left are obtuse on this or if they're genuinely ignorant. The reason that illegal immigration is a big winner issue is not because illegal immigration depresses wages. It's not because illegal immigrants take welfare at higher rates. It's not even that illegal immigrants commit crimes, certain crimes at higher rates. It's actually not that. It's because it is an offense to the country itself. It is an offense to the integrity of the country, the very fact of the nation. When you have people disrespecting your borders, crossing back and forth willy-nilly, coming over here and demanding that you give them something, it is so offensive. And it puts Democrats in this awful position where Democrats are now being held hostage by their base. If Andrew Gillum were just strictly looking at the numbers, he would come out and say, oh, I'd turn them over to law enforcement. I'd deport half the illegal aliens in this country. I'd deport all of the criminal, the violent criminal illegal aliens, and I'd get really tough on it. Why? Because we know from the, from the public opinion polling and from elections that that's a big winner issue, not just among Republicans. There was a poll taken at the beginning of the year that showed the majority of Democrat voters did not believe that amnesty, even for dreamers, so-called, even for young illegal aliens brought here before they were old enough to think, uh, that that should be a top priority for a Congress, even among Democrat voters. So if he saw that, he would just answer and it would be a gimme, but he can't because they're held hostage by that base, that screaming little millennial who goes up to cocaine Mitch and yells in his face. That, that guy, that small number of Democrats is the Democrat base. And they go out and they write checks and they sign petitions and they carry petitions and they go canvas and they're the activists. And they're increasingly at odds with other swaths of the Democrat voter base. So right now, President Trump has made great strides he in particular, though it's true for Republicans broadly, among black voters and among Hispanic voters. The black, black voter support has more than doubled. Hispanic voter support has surged. Uh, and, that, and that does have tails for, for other Republicans as well. Uh, Democrats can't afford to lose those demographics. They've relied on huge portions of those demographics for years. But the minute that they start speaking on issues that those bases uh, care about, they lose their activists. They lose the people who go at it. It's a really tough position that they're in. And it's why Andrew Gillum finally mercifully fell silent. Um, so what issues can they run on? They can't run on immigration, they'll lose. They can't run on taxes, they'll lose, which is why the Republicans are doubling down now. They're saying, oh yeah, you like that tax cut? Uh, we'll give you another one. This is uh, a re really something I find charming about uh, President Trump's political I don't, I won't call it naivete, but you know, he's not the subtlest guy in the world is, you know, a really crafty, sophisticated politician. He'd say, okay, how am I going to package this to look like this and that? Uh, but president Trump, it seems like someone gave him a sheet that said tax cuts popular. He's like doing more tax cuts too, more tax cuts. I'll give you more tax cuts because they're popular. It's like, is that really that honest? You know, you know what the strategy is, you know what you're getting. And, and we'll, We'll get to the advantages of that in a second. Um, so they can't run on that. They can't run on the taxes. They can't run on joblessness, which basically doesn't exist. So what are they going to run on? The sun monster. They're going to run on the boogeyman hiding underneath the earth that then rises up and threatens to kill us all. They're trying to run on global warming. So uh, fortunately, we can turn now to the thought leader of the Democrat Party to use Steve Hayward's nickname for her, Alexandria Occasional Cortex, who has the American strategy on fighting the sun monster. The last time we had a, we had a really 
and we have a blueprint of doing this before. We had a direct existential threat with another nation, at this time it was Nazi Germany and the Axis, that when we put uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to work in defending our shores and defending this country, we have to do the same thing. We, we, we could cut her there. I've had enough Alexandria occasional cortex. So she said, just that last bit, she says, uh, we, we put hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions, to work defending our country. 16 million Americans served in World War II. <laughs> Just, you'd think if she was going to use this talking point, she would have, like, Googled basic facts of World War II, but that's fine. She says that the strategy to fight the sun monster, the strategy to fight global warming, is the same strategy that we use to fight the Nazis, by which I assume she means evacuate Dunkirk and storm the beaches of Normandy. I, which is, we've never tried that. We've tried capping fuel emissions. We've tried banning certain plastics. But we've never tried evacuating Dunkirk and storming Normandy. So maybe that will work. Maybe that's what they'll do if the Democrats win the House. Ironically, the other strategy that we would use if the, the way to fight global warming is the same as how we fought the Nazis is to collude with the Russians. We could not have defeated the Nazis if we didn't collude with the Russians. And it would be a beautiful about face. It would be Nixon going to China if the Democrats came into the, the House after the midterm elections and they said, you know what we're going to do, guys? We've been wrong about this. Let's start colluding with Russia. Something tells me they're not going to do that, though. So uh, obviously this is absurd. Her answer here is absurd. That's why everybody's making fun of it. But the issue is absurd. The issue of global warming is absurd. I'm sorry, global cooling. Oh, I'm sorry, climate change. Oh, I'm sorry, this, that, or the other thing. Uh, it's, it, this, is the, this is where the, the left whips itself up into a religious frenzy. You hear all the time about the religious right. This is the religious left because it's unfalsifiable, the cult of global warming. It's uh, unscientific. Anytime the reality doesn't match the computer models and the scientific models for warming, uh, they just adjust the models. And they adjust their view of reality to match the scientific models. You've uh, had the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, come out and say that greenhouse gases do not uh, have a significant correlation to warming and that there hasn't been significant warming in a while. They've had to adjust so many of their graphs. So this is all they've got. Like bad Al Gore PowerPoints from 2006. That is the best that they can run on. Uh, good situation for... Uh, for Republicans in this election. Who knows? When, if the economy cracks up or something, then the Democrats finally have an issue again. But for right now, they're running on nothing, which is why all they're doing is talking in slogans and talking about themselves. Uh, to, to turn to another Democrat tribe, uh, this time in Massachusetts, Lia Watha has been stepping in it on this DNA question. So she can't shut up about it, sadly. And uh, sadly for her, good for us. Here is Lia Watha trying to defend it again after defending it before. Senator, when we spoke in March for an interview and I asked you about whether or not you would take a DNA test, you, you told me that you believed that the issue of your Native American heritage had been settled. Why did you change your mind and recently release the results of a DNA test? You know, one of the things I see now is that confidence in government is at an all-time low. And I believe one way that we try to rebuild confidence is through transparency. Ultimately, I took a DNA test because I am an open book, and it's all out there. It's on the Internet. Anybody can take a look. Because at the end of the day, this isn't about me. This is about what's happening to working families all across this commonwealth. 
This isn't about me at the end of the day. And that's why I have spent three weeks now exclusively talking about myself. And not just about myself and how I look and how I speak, but actually the DNA at the core of my cells. I've been talking about my genetic code because this, this isn't about me. This is about something else that I don't want to talk about right now. So it's not about me. Really sad. Also, that voice, that, well, you know, Trump talked about that face. I don't know about that face. I just, that voice makes our president sound like a songbird. It makes our senators, it makes Ted Cruz sound like a songbird. She, it, and I'm not saying it's because of the particular tenor of her voice. It's because she has that politician voice or that old politician voice. You know, where it's a little breathy and it's a practiced and emotional speech. And it's, it's just awful. It's so grating. Cory Booker has turned that up to 11 in his Spartacus moments and his tears of rage. I don't know where they think that this is going to help them in 2020, but I think that voice is kind of over now. Because, uh, you know, when Trump came out in 2016 and just talked like a brash guy from Queens who didn't use the right words and often said things that were offensive to both his opponents and his supporters, I think it cracked that up a little bit. I think people like uh, straight talk, if you will, blunt speech at least. Uh, How else do you explain Michael Avenatti getting on the TV networks? Uh, Michael Avenatti, for all of his flaws, he does speak plainly. He probably speaks a little too plainly. Um, that voice, mercifully, I think that voice is over because the trouble with that voice too, is you're constantly having to figure out what they're actually saying. Like uh, the old joke, I, I would think about this whenever I heard a politician say like, you know, we need to lower your taxes, not raise your taxes. It was whatever they said after not was the thing they were actually going to do. It was such a lie. It was a voice and addiction of such lies that they would do that. And fortunately, now we've got Republicans who actually do what they say, for better or worse. And I I just think it really falls flat. Um, Then she goes on with pure, grade A, Liz Warren, Liawatha, Democrat sanctimony. Give it to me. I'm a kid who wanted to be a public school teacher. And by the time I graduated from high school, we didn't have the money for a college application, much less a chance for me to actually go to college. A lot of twists and turns in my story, but my big chance was a commuter college that cost $50 a semester, and it opened a million doors for me. I am the daughter of someone who ended up as a janitor, and I got to be a professor and a United States senator. Okay, blah, blah, blah. My mother washed more floors for less money than your mother, blah, blah, blah. That's what she's doing. This is a classic, uh, both parties do it, but this is especially a uh, a classic Democrat strategy. John Kasich famously did it in 2016. Do you, do you, I don't know if you remember, his father's a mailman. Did you know that John Kasich's father was a mailman? Liz Warren, I think, almost mentioned it. But I I want to direct your attention to one little phrase in, in her uh, soliloquy here. She says, oh, you know, I could, I wanted to be a school teacher. I I just wanted to do this. And you know, college was, there were a lot of twists and turns in my life and then I succeeded. So those twists and turns, when she's talking about twists and turns, she's saying that she got married and then her husband paid for her law school and then she cheated on her husband while she was in law school and then she left her husband and six months later married her law professor. 
and now and then she had her career. Those are the twists and turns. And I don't point that out to cast stones at Elizabeth Warren. Politicians are often rotten, dirty people, and they do, they do rotten, dirty things, and everybody's got a past, and everybody makes mistakes. That's not what I'm saying. I'm doing it to point out the hypocrisy and the sanctimony of Democrats, critics of the president, critics of other Republicans, and the news media, who focus on every one of President Trump's sexual misdeeds, of which there are many. They focus on all of the president's um, failed marriages, but they don't point this out. They let her get away with twists and turns. Twists and turns. She leaves her husband, cheats on her husband, leaves her husband, marries her law professor, leaves the guy who paid for her law school. And so, oh, it's just twists and turns. How brave, how powerful. There was an article that came out, uh, you know, obviously uh, uh, praising Elizabeth Warren in the mainstream media. And they said, Elizabeth Warren's biggest mistake. So I figured this would be an article about how she left her husband and, you know, but look, people make big mistakes in life. Okay. No, no, no. No, the big mistake was marrying her husband in the first place her first husband. That was the mistake because if not for that, she would be St. Elizabeth, the great, the great spirit, Liawatha. But she has that and they bury it. They don't focus on it at all. Um, and just that, oh gosh, I really can't stand that uh, my mother washed more floors for less money. I don't know that that plays now either. You know, if Mitt Romney in 2012 had just come out and said, I'm a rich guy, I have a lot of money, my dad was a rich guy and I'm a richer guy and yeah, I go on vacation and I have elevators in my house because I'm a rich guy. And don't you want to be like me? I'm a rich, cool guy. It would have played. It would have played so much better than saying, oh, I'm not that rich and I, well, we had to do this for that and this and that. It doesn't work. Stop conceding. Stop conceding points that you don't have to when your opponent is running away, when you're advancing. It doesn't make any sense. We have got a lot more to talk about, especially down in Texas with my buddy Beta O'Rourke. He's got a new song and dance number that is really going to take Texas by a storm. Probably just Austin, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but you've got to go to dailywire.com if you want to do that. What do you get? Well, if you missed Politicon over the weekend, you can go over there now and see all of the great Daily Wire activity from Politicon. That's for subscribers. Uh, you can enjoy all the leftist tiers produced over the weekend. What else do you get? You get me, you get the Andrew Klavan show, you get the Ben Shapiro show, you get to ask questions in the mailbag. That's coming up, so make sure you get your mailbag questions in. You get to ask questions in the conversation. You get Another Kingdom. Another Kingdom, Andrew Klavan's narrative podcast that little old me performs all the roles in. Uh, subscribers get that on Mondays get to see all the beautiful art. Non-subscribers have to wait like seven or eight years, I think, or just until that Friday to get the audio. None of that matters. This matters. You know, there have been a lot of twists and turns in my life. Been a lot of twists and turns in our, in the political life of our country. But one thing that has always sustained me, sustained all of us, are those salty, frothy, delicious leftist tears. And you can enjoy them in the only FDA approved vessel for leftist tears uh, the Leftist Tears Tumblr. Go to dailywire.com, get it, we'll be right back. Back to Texas. You know, we've talked about Indiana, we've talked about the Massachusetts, we've talked about some races, but you knew that I wasn't going to leave you without an update on Beta O'Rourke, my pal. Uh, before we talk about him in particular, just look at how ABC News, mainstream media, news network, treats Democrat candidates like O'Rourke. O'Rourke is kind of the special case, but he exemplifies how they treat all Democrats. This is on the trail, according to ABC, on the trail with Ted Cruz and Beta O'Rourke. Um, one of the most simple 
obvious strategies that I've seen employed in a, in a modern campaign. We just literally show up everywhere all the time for everyone. You can't go 10 Thank feet without an interruption Thank from a Beto backer. So much. I love you too. Thank you all. You're a rock star. No, no, there's just so no, many great really people are. who are. You can't go anywhere without getting Hey! O'Rourke, a three-term congressman from El Paso, has certainly captured the entire nation's attention as well. Oh, he's captured the entire nation's attention. Ooh, he's making certain female news anchors just go a little hot under the collar. Ooh, ooh does anybody have a little fainting couch for me? Yeah, okay. And she goes, and she says, oh, you're a rock star. He's, oh, stop it. Stop it. I'm not, how much of a rock star? Oh, they love you wherever you go. By the way, he's walking through a bar. He's just like, he's at some campaign event. There were, I don't know, a hundred people there or something. So you're like a rock star because you have any supporters at all in a Senate campaign that you've raised $40 million for. Therefore, you're a rock, mostly national, by the way. <laughs> you've got to take a look at the money that comes from out of state as well as in from Texas. The Democrats are betting big on this race that right now the polling doesn't seem so great. Uh, that he's, he's a rock star. Okay. How did the mainstream media cover uh, President Trump's rally? Because President Trump has a rally now in Texas, and he's got more than just 100 people waving at him in a bar. He has people, uh, I think about, a, what was it, 1,000 people camping out overnight, 24 hours before his rally, so that they can get in here. Just take a little, uh, this is from the campaign Facebook page, just a, a little glimpse of part of the encampment trying to get tickets for this show. That, that, that doesn't even begin to show everybody. I mean, this goes on and on and on. This is actually what happens for rock stars. And look, this is the great advantage of Trump. The disadvantage is that he turns everything into a reality TV show and people say it's tawdry or it's not elevated or it's not what our founders envisioned for the executive. Okay, fair enough. I totally get it. The plus side is you got a rock star as president. You've got a showman. You've got the greatest showman of his age. And you've got these people, a thousand people camping out overnight in MAGA hats, waving that flag with the picture of Trump on a tank, like shooting fireworks. I mean, this is like, you know, living inside an American pie on the 4th of July level of excitement and patriotism. They don't call him a rock star though, do they? No, they don't. They don't call him a rock star. They call Beta O'Rourke uh, our, our rock star. You know, the GOP is not going to get fair treatment. And so back on this, oh, how do we all get along? How do we get back to some standard of objectivity in our discourse, in our news media? They don't want that. They never wanted that. They're, they want to bring you back to a time that never existed, a mythical time when the news people were objective and they were just getting the facts and they treated both sides fairly. They never treated both sides fairly. They would huff and puff and go red in the face and get so uh, excited when they were around Democrat candidates and they would distort the views of conservatives, not just politicians, but uh, rank and file activists and thought leaders as well. Um, you know, they tell you, I saw this yesterday on one of the panels with Bakari Sellers from CNN and Kyle Kalinske, this YouTube lefty. And they, they do it so well, especially Bakari is very good at this. They sit there and they say, you know, look, I just think we all need to come together. We just need to come together. And I think we can finally, you know, admit that we need to, you know, socialize health care and open our borders up to everybody and impeach the president, raise taxes, you know, just issues that we can all agree on. You know, we just, and they, they do it. They put on their serious face. They put on their objective face. And then they try to push radical leftism, 
we shouldn't buy it anymore. We should, we should laugh at that. We should laugh at the farce that the left-wing media have made of themselves. Um, speaking of Beto, they, Beto has a new, uh, a new campaign theme, a new motif that's gone around. <laughs> These are a bunch of Beto supporters rallying in a park. I'll let the clip speak for itself. The village people. That's beta. You know, nothing says Texas like a bunch of leather daddy gay pop stars <laughs> singing about hanging around the Schwitz at the YMCA. Nothing says Texas, right? That's that. I don't know who is writing these campaign strategies, but this really illustrates it because I bet that this is about as close to grassroots as you get for a, a Democrat campaign in Texas. You know, there weren't maybe a hundred people there or something like that. And these guys really think that they are speaking for everybody. They really think that this is the cultural wave, that they won the culture war 30 years ago, and we all just have to go along with it. And increasingly, because they're in their own little echo chambers, they've lost that control over the culture. They've lost all of that. And so they think that going out in ponchos in, uh, in the middle of Texas and singing the YMCA is somehow cool or somehow rallying or somehow encouraging. They're all also kind of old. <laughs> you know, they're all, not, I don't mean to be mean to these people, but th- that isn't cool. It isn't cool to see a bunch of 50-year-olds dancing around a park to 1970s uh, pop music. So that's, that's what they think. I don't, there might be an esoteric message here for Elizabeth Warren because I'm, I'm pretty sure the Native American from the village people is like orders of magnitude more Indian than Senator Liawatha, but who knows? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen his DNA test. Maybe he'll come out with a DNA test sometime soon. Uh, I have a sign of the apocalypse for you, which is speaking of CNN, I'm going to say something nice about CNN. I know, I know. Pull over your car, pull over, I know, get, strap yourself in, uh, because I actually saw something on CNN today that I sort of liked. And it proved to me why we're never going to get any more of it. Jared Kushner sat down to talk Middle East policy and specifically the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia. He sat down with very far left commentator Van Jones. Here was was just a little tiny clip of their discussion. Let's just stay with it. So, I mean, you said that um, you're going to try to get to the facts. Do you trust the Saudis to investigate themselves? I mean, it seems like MBS is like the prime suspect. He's also the prime investigator. I mean, do you trust the Saudis to sort this out? Yeah, like I said, I mean, we're getting facts in from multiple places. And then once those facts come in, um, the Secretary of State will, will, will work with our national security team to help us determine what we want to believe in and what we think is credible and what we think is, is not credible. Yeah. Even, even Trump says there's like deception and lies. I mean, do you, I mean, you, do you, do you see anything that, that seems deceptive? I see things that are deceptive every day. I see them in the <laughs> Middle East. I see them in Washington. And uh, so, again, I think that we, we have our eyes wide open. <sighs> oh, is that, is that, I'm actually, I'm joking there because I actually really liked this interview. I thought it was a, a very good interview. I thought Jared Kushner explained the position of the administration very well. He was very articulate. He had a pretty clear-eyed view. As he just said, he said the administration had, he has a clear-eyed view and the administration is taking a clear-eyed view towards Saudi Arabia. And I thought Van Jones did very well. 
Van Jones is a far left guy, but he's at least smart and he can be serious when he wants to be. And this was a serious discussion. He wasn't trying to slam him or have a gotcha moment or twist his words or be unfair. He actually, he was pushing him. He was asking pretty tough questions, but he was giving Kushner a chance to explain the policy of the administration. And we actually got something out of it. I, I now can see the Saudi policy, you know, the policy towards Saudi Arabia a little more clearly. I can see a little bit where the White House is going and what they're thinking and who's doing it. And so good on Van Jones, good on CNN for airing it. They're never going to do it again. They're never going to do it again. The only reason I saw this clip is because it was trending on Twitter. And it was trending because the left-wing base, the CNN audience, well, actually by CNN audience, the only people who actually watch CNN regularly are commuters in airports because without airport TVs having CNN on, the network would go bankrupt. But the five people who watch CNN were furious. And then the left wing that saw CNN, saw this clip going around, were furious that Van Jones didn't get up and punch Jared in the face because you can't be civil to Republicans, says Hillary Clinton. Kick him in the face, says Eric Holder. Go attack them at their homes and their kids and apparently their son-in-laws, says Maxine Waters. So they were so furious that we actually got a serious discussion out of it. You know, people blame uh, politicians for the kind of politicians they are. They blame the media for the kind of media that they get. You, you get what you want. In, in this life, you get what you want. And if you, the, the reason that we elect certain people to represent us is because those people are behaving in a way that can convince us to vote for them. The, the, the founders and the framers were very wise when they created the House of Representatives. And the House of Representatives represents the passions of the people. So when you look at your politicians and you're disgusted by them, take a look in the mirror because you're, you're looking at it. You're looking at people who are behaving in a way such that you're incentivized to vote for them and to keep them in office. And it's the same thing with the media. You know, the uh, one thing I noticed at Politicon is that the lefties there were not sophisticated thinkers. I'm trying to say this in a nice way that doesn't sound very arrogant. They, they had bad arguments. If they had arguments at all, they weren't addressing questions. They were making absurd logical fallacies. And th- that's the audience. That's the audience for the left. That's the audience for CNN. And so there's no incentive to do that. Fortunately, we have a new media that hasn't totally been censored. So you can get, you know, if there's an audience for a conservative podcast or this or that, you can go out there and get it. But uh, you're going to get what you want. And, you know, when I hear, how do we all get along? How do we have a better country? How do we have a more sophisticated politics? Take a look in the mirror. It's you. You're the people. We the people. We vote for people. We govern ourselves, at least for now, at least mostly, uh, although we give that power away time and time again. And in the midterm elections, we're going to see what people want. Uh, That's all. That's all I got today. I know we ran out of time. Sad. I had more to talk about. We'll talk about it tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.